Hello and welcome to Buffy and the Art of Story Season 6. Today we're talking about Season 6, Episode 20, Villains, where Warren flees, everyone grapples with Tara's death, and Willow is out for revenge. If you love Buffy the Vampire Slayer and you love creating stories or just taking them apart to see how they work, you're at the right podcast. I am Lisa M. Lilly, mystery and thriller author, story expert, and founder of writingasasecondcareer.com. You can find my fiction at lisalilly.com. Along with a breakdown of villains, I'll talk about whether this episode is more Buffy's story or Willow's, or in other words, who is the protagonist? Why season six watchers might not love Buffy as a character, scene endings and beginnings that move us through the story seamlessly, and how Warren is used to contrast evil done by others the first time for fun, the second for sympathy. As always, there will be no spoilers except at the end when I talk about foreshadowing, but I'll give you plenty of warning. Okay, let's dive into the Hellmouth. Villains aired the first time on May 14, 2002. It was written by Marty Noxon and directed by David Solomon. It begins with strong opening conflict that pulls us right into the story. Sirens, sound, an ambulance pulls up at the Summer's house and Xander takes the paramedics to the backyard where Buffy is lying on the grass, blood over that gunshot wound in her chest. They ask if it was accidental and Xander says, no, he was trying to kill her. They start working on Buffy and inside Willow cries over Tara's body. So that line from Xander, he was trying to kill her, applies to Buffy, but we also see the fallout with Tara. Willow begs Tara to come back, and as she sobs and starts to rage, the room darkens. Clouds form on the ceiling, there's lightning and thunder, and Willow cries out to Osiris to bring Tara back. In contrast, in bright sunlight in the yard, Xander is questioning the paramedics. He's got blood on his hands and his clothes. Buffy's eyes are open, but she is staring blankly. She blinks a couple times. We have no idea if she's aware what's happening. In the dark room, again, Osiris appears. He's in a sort of cloud shape, and it sounds almost comical when I say it that he's got a, a face, but it it works pretty well. These days we'd have much cooler special effects, but it doesn't come across as comic when you see it. It's a bit ominous. And he tells her she cannot violate the laws of natural death. This is not the same as when she brought back one who died a mystical death, meaning Buffy. Willow is distraught and confused. How is it natural that Tara was shot? But Osiris says it's a human death by human means. And he roars, quote, it is done. And quote, Willow now yells no. And the force of her words and her power emanates out from her and sends the god flying out of the frame. And at 2.3 seconds, we cut to the credits, having seen Willow's power. I looked up Osiris because the summary I read on the Buffy fandom wiki referred to Osiris as a demon, and I was pretty sure Osiris was a god. According to Encyclopedia Britannica, there have been various forms, but by about 2400 BCE, Osiris clearly played a double role. He was both a god of fertility and the embodiment of the dead and resurrected king. And it goes on that he's later seen to be similar to the god of the underworld that we see in Greek mythology. At 3 minutes 28 seconds, we're back. Paramedics take Buffy into the ambulance and Willow exits the Summer's house. 
Xander sees her and tells Willow it was Warren he had a gun. Xander doesn't seem to notice that there is blood on Willow and I believe that's part of why we saw blood all over Xander. It isn't strange to me that he would not notice that and think, wait, where, where did that come from? Willow just says, Warren, and heads off down the street. We're about three minutes, 40 seconds through when Xander tells Willow that Warren shot Buffy. I see that as the story spark or inciting incident of the main plot because that sets Willow on her path, which also sets off the way that Buffy's story will go. At the police station, Andrew and Jonathan are in a jail cell. We've just had Willow say Warren, and now Jonathan and Andrew talk about whether Warren will rescue them and their fears about the other prisoners and about being in jail. Andrew is so sure Warren is going to come to get them. Jonathan is skeptical. They segue into talking about Matthew Broderick in War Games and then in Ferris Bueller, and Jonathan finally tells Andrew to shut up. No one is coming to get them. Andrew claims they're all in this together, but Jonathan rightly points out that Andrew and Warren had jetpacks and were going to leave Jonathan there. Andrew denies it, claiming that they were going to circle back and get Jonathan, and he also insists that Warren will come back now for both of them. And Jonathan says, sure, he's a nice murderer who keeps his word. As Andrew insists that Warren is right now coming up with a plan, the scene cuts to Warren, who is doing nothing nothing of the kind. In a moment, he'll show his plan is just the opposite. He goes into this demon bar and he buys everyone around and boasts about killing the Slayer. The demons start paying attention. Warren talks about his trio, but no one's ever heard of them to his disappointment. But now he says it doesn't matter. He cut them loose. He needs a real gang, not a couple of wannabes. He brags about how he tried all the dark arts, But you know what really works with the Slayer? A gun. The demon at the bar next to him is skeptical. He killed the Slayer with a gun. And Warren confirms it, that it was in her own backyard. And all the demons start laughing. Warren triumphant says, the town is ours. He reminds me, and the scene reminds me, of episode one where those demons are in a bar and a vampire comes in all excited to tell them that the Slayer is a robot and he thinks that they're going to take him in and he's going to be part of the gang. It ends slightly better for Warren. These demons don't kill him. But he does gradually figure out that they are laughing at him. One of them tells him he's screwed, that he wasn't a good shot. The news reported about a girl shot in her backyard, but she survived and she's in the hospital. They also remind him that slayers heal fast, so they're not going to bother to eat him, quote, this girl, end quote, will be coming for him big time. At 8 minutes 37 seconds, we cut to a different girl who will definitely be coming for Warren, Willow. She bursts into the magic box, magically pushes Anya aside and basically freezes Anya and goes for all the magical dark arts books. She pulls them down onto one table using magic to do that. They're all open in front of her. She puts her hands down and the words, which are now printed in red ink and symbols, go up her arms and her neck and her hair and eyes turn dark. All the books are blank. Willow's absorbed everything. And in a deep voice, she says, that's better. The scene cuts to Dawn, who comes home. She calls out for Buffy. There's no answer. And she goes upstairs and finds Tara's dead body on the bedroom floor. There is white light. The whole scene lightens as Dawn gasps, and the entire scene then turns white. We cut to Rack, 10 minutes, 14 seconds, so almost at that one-quarter point in the episode. He opens the door of that grungy waiting room we've seen before, and a jittery Warren jumps ahead of everyone. Rack is actually funny in this scene in the sense of his his dry humor, his observations about Warren. And it's my first example of putting, in this case, two evil characters together. 
and Rack comes out looking better than Warren because we've seen Warren kill Tara, gloat about killing Buffy when he thinks that happened, and Rack, for all that we know, he's a warlock, he did terrible things to Willow, and he helps all these demons. He's an evil person, but we haven't seen him directly kill anyone. So now as Warren is is so eager to get in, Rack just looks at him and says, you're new. Warren's impatient. He doesn't want to answer any more questions with Rack, and he shows him a handful of cash. Inside Rack's inner sanctum, Rack asks how Warren found him and mocks Warren a little bit for paying someone 20 bucks to get him into Rack's. He says most of his clients would do it for five. Warren now says he tried to, quote, do us all a favor, end quote, linking himself in with Rack and the demon world. And he says, uh, do this favor and kill the Slayer, but it didn't take. Now he shifts from this anxiousness to bragging again. He brags about the trio and how his specialty was robots. And Rack is so blank. He says something like he's never heard of them and asks, quote, what, were you a band or something? End quote. And despite disliking Rack so much, I enjoy seeing Warren being cut down to size a bit, first by those demons, now by Rack. He has such delusions of grandeur. Now Rack goes on and says, sorry, when Warren's upset that he didn't know anything about Warren. And then he asks, why aren't Warren's guys helping him? And this is interesting too. So we have the evil character pointing out that Warren has just abandoned his friends. And as Xander said in the last episode, he won't be much good without his friends. And Warren alone, not that I want him to be back with the trio, but he is far less effective and he's really spooked by everything. Rack now tells him his big problem isn't the Slayer, it's the Witch. And he clarifies Willow and says, quote, she's the new power. Anyone with intuition can feel it. She's going to blow this town apart, starting with you. Warren is confused and Rack explains that while Buffy will heal, someone else is stone cold. Now Warren begs for Rack's help. Rack says hide or fight. And Warren says both, anything. Rack can't give him any guarantees. Willow's quote, running on pure fury, end quote. And in the next scene, we will see exactly that. So another one of those great scene transitions that we've gotten throughout here where one scene ends, takes us right to the next. And that is an ideal way to transition your audience when you are jumping from different points of view and different storylines. Around here, we usually would see the first major plot turn. It should come from outside the protagonist, spin the story in a new direction, and raise the stakes. It is probably in this next scene because Willow's fury now will spin the story. She will bring Buffy back and she will go directly after Warren and Buffy will start trying to one, figure out what's wrong, but two, mainly try to stop Willow. At 13 minutes at the hospital, Xander watches through a large window as doctors and nurses struggle to save Buffy, who's hooked up to machines and monitors. All the lights blink. Willow, wearing all black clothes, strides in and tells them all to leave. Her hair and eyes are black. She's very calm, very definite. Xander is so spooked. He's asking what she's doing. Buffy's going to die. And Willow tells him Buffy is not going to die. Nonetheless, the monitors flatline, showing that Buffy does die, but at 14 minutes, 31 seconds, Willow magically lifts the bullet out of Buffy, and then Willow grasps it out of the air and says, it's so small. She heals Buffy's wound. Buffy wakes up confused, and when asked if she's okay, says, sure. Xander hugs her and says, you've got to stop doing this. This dying thing is funny once, maybe twice. 
Puffy, though, sees how Willow looks and Willow's expression and asks what's wrong. Willow says she'll explain and turns and heads out the door. She walks in a very powerful, deliberate way, and it reminds me, years ago, when I was a brand new lawyer, I took this one-night seminar on body language and how to present yourself, and the person giving it had us do two things. One, act out rushing in the door like we were late for a meeting, and second, walk in the door like you're the President of the United States. And she pointed out people who have true power are not rushing in to do things. They walk in like the President of the United States very much how Willow is walking here. And in contrast to the way Warren raced into Rax, or even how he burst into that demon bar, all bragging and full of jittery energy. Willow now says it's time to find Warren. At a bus station, an anxious Warren hurriedly asks about buses to the border, and he gets on one and sits in back. We cut to the desert where Willow is literally a backseat driver. So she too is sitting in the back. Xander's driving, but she is not satisfied. He's not going fast enough. And she presses down the accelerator magically. Buffy assures her that they'll catch Warren and he'll go to jail. Buffy says she's finding the whole getting shot very motivating, but she's worried about Willow using magic. Willow points out if she hadn't, Buffy would be dead. And Buffy says, maybe, which could be right because slayers do heal fast. If Willow had let the doctors and nurses do their job, Buffy might well have healed. She flatlined, I'm pretty sure, after Willow shut everything off and let it blink back on and made the doctors and nurses leave. But regardless, Buffy tells Willow this isn't good for her. Xander also tries to convince her and he asks about the makeover of the damned and the hair. Willow insists Xander turn where there is no road at all. He's confused and she takes over the wheel magically, drives the car through brush and sand onto another road. She then stops the car, gets out and stands in the middle of this dusty road as a bus approaches the driver is struggling to turn the wheel he can't and willow forces the bus to stop she also uses magic as she did on anya to shove buffy and xander away she doesn't immobilize them but she shoves them away she orders warren out and he does step out of the bus he starts to babble an apology as she grips his throat but she squeezes and an eyeball pops out and it's clearly a manufactured eyeball and it rolls on the ground willow is so angry that it was a robot and notice we got that reference earlier where warren says that was his specialty so that sets up this moment which otherwise would feel very out of the blue despite that we know warren can create robots we have not seen that since season Five. Willow heads for the car. She tells Xander and Buffy they'll find Warren another way and kill him. Buffy grabs Willow's arm, tells her to calm down, that there's no excuse for Warren's actions, and Willow finally cuts in and tells them that Warren shot Tara when he shot Buffy, and Willow says she's dead. Now he's dead too. Buffy and Xander are both shocked and grief-stricken. Xander asks why Willow didn't say anything, and Willow just tells him she's busy and starts to stalk off again. Buffy stops her and says, Willow, please, just stop. We love you and Tara, but we don't kill humans. It's not the way. And this, to me, is the start of Buffy sounding preachy here when she says we don't kill humans it's not the way I would like Buffy better and I think the uh, previous seasons Buffy might have expressed it in a different way if she said it's not right to kill humans it's not right or I don't want to see you do this I feel it's wrong to kill humans but we don't kill humans sounds like the way you talk to a child when you're trying to teach them something I probably wouldn't have noticed it except there are some things later that follow on with this 
nice tone. Willow says, how can you say that? Tara is dead. And Buffy now, I think more Buffy-like, says, I know, I know, and I can't understand anything. Not what happened and not what you must be going through. Willow, if you do this, you let Warren destroy you too. And Xander says, you said it yourself, Will. The magic's too strong. There's no coming back from it. And Willow, for the first time in this episode, now sounds a little bit sad, has some expression in her voice, where up to now it has been this very cold, very intent way of speaking. And she says, I'm not coming back. Buffy begs her to stop. They'll get through this together. And Willow tells them not Buffy's way. No more talking. It's done. She walks off and disappears after knocking Buffy and Xander into the road again. I have a patron comment to share and some announcements about the podcast schedule. I messaged patron Steve because I knew from previous conversations that Seeing Red was his least favorite Buffy episode and that he is a big fan of Spike. So I asked him if he had comments about Seeing Red and he said, referring to Spike's assault on Buffy, I think it is the epitome of false conflict and plot-driven changes in characters. Spike was shown in season five to be totally devoted to Buffy as a friend, but now we are to believe he would sexually attack her. I just don't buy it. I've commented myself on the struggle to see Spike's actions as fitting his character. Ultimately, I believe it only works if you accept the premise that without a soul, Spike, no matter how much he's grown, can't avoid crossing over that line. He He's angry at Buffy, he's frustrated, and without a soul, he does a horrible evil thing that otherwise, Spike as he's been developed, I don't believe would ever do to Buffy. Steve references this idea of false conflict. I've talked about false conflict before in the context of it's false conflict if two characters are having a fight or disagreement or are angry at each other and it could all be resolved if they just sat down and had a conversation and said what they meant and there's no genuine character-based reason that they don't do that. It's solely the writers preventing them from doing that by just not writing that versus when there's a genuine reason that characters can't or won't share their real feelings or talk, there are real things in the way, or a true true strong conflict where they're just coming from very different places and cannot come together or it's very difficult. They just have these very different views or feelings or motives. This false conflict that Steve is talking about and he alludes to this plot driven or he says plot driven changes in characters, that too is a sort of manufactured conflict where you read a story or you watch a story and you feel like oh, these characters developed this way, wouldn't do that, but they needed this plot turn, so the writers just made them do it. And that happens one of two ways. One is where the entire story doesn't care about the characters, maybe doesn't develop them at all, and they just do whatever needs to be done for the plot. Taken to an extreme, that's a very unsatisfying story. Or it can be the character has been developed, but we just don't see enough of it to buy it. And that also could be the issue with Spike. I think I had mentioned perhaps if he were written slightly differently and something more brought out why Spike would do this, I would buy it. Maybe there was something that the writers really developed there that made that work. Uh, but I agree with Steve, it does feel plot driven to me as well. Now to announcements for the schedule. I had hoped to finish season seven or season six rather by now and then take a year end or holiday break that did not work out and rather than 
do the next episode and then take that year in break and have you wait for the finale by itself in the new year. I'm going to take the break now and come back in the new year and cover Two to Go and then Grave. That's partly because they are pretty much a two-part finale, so I didn't want to leave all that time in between. But there will be a couple bonuses, at least that's the plan. I hope to put in the feed the Buffy holiday bonus episode that I initially did for patrons only. I may have put that in the feed before, but I always enjoy revisiting it. Buffy holiday episodes are really fun. So I will put that in towards Christmas Day. On New Year's Day, we'll have a special treat. I am coordinating with Stephen Yunkin, who hosts the Angel podcast, Wolfram and Cast. My episode 5 by 5 about the Faith crossover will appear in the Wolfram and Cast podcast feed and here in the Buffy and the Art of Story feed. You will get to hear one of the Wolfram and Cast episodes. It looks like it will be one where Stephen makes a really interesting argument that I suspect I'm going to disagree with. I haven't heard it yet, but I'm pretty sure based on what he told me. So I love it because you will get a different take. There is a bit of a spoiler there because at that point, the Buffy series has wrapped up at that point in Angel. So I'll give you a little heads up before that, but look for that on New Year's Day. And then I will come back with our last two episodes of season six plus. Following that, I'll do a season six wrap up, mainly to look more closely at Willow's arc throughout the season. We are nearing the midpoint of the episode. And that's where we typically look for the protagonist to make a major commitment or suffer a major reversal or both. So a little bit short of the midpoint at 20 minutes, Buffy and Xander get to the Summer's house. It's nighttime. They call out for Willow and Dawn, obviously hoping Willow's return there. Buffy finds Dawn in the bedroom in the dark, crouched against the wall near a desk, sitting there because she did not want to leave Tara alone. Tara's body is still lying there on the floor. And I so empathized with this. One of my nieces died very young. I'm sure I've mentioned her before. At her wake, the last night of it, one, she really did look so much like herself. It was open casket, which in my experience is so rare. People almost never look natural. They don't look like themselves, but she did and it was so hard to see her there and I remember saying to my friend I I can't leave there were just a small group of us left I'm like I can't leave they're gonna put her in the ground and it's going to be cold she'll be alone and I don't remember what my friend said but we finally left but I had that feeling and I knew of course that my niece was gone that it it wasn't her the core of who she is her essence in that coffin but it was so hard and I I can't even imagine how it felt for for my brother and my sister-in-law so Dawn sat there from the daytime when she came home until now in the dark just sitting with Tara so Tara would not be alone and she says now very softly that she doesn't understand Buffy holds her while she cries Buffy says she doesn't understand either the scene shifts to the coroner's people who take Tara's body away they have Xander sign for it a bit of a callback to Joyce's death where the whole episode dealt with or at least so much of it dealt with the mechanics of death all the things that have to be done. Xander, Buffy, and Dawn gather in the living room. Now we get Buffy's commitment to stop Willow no matter what it takes. Buffy starts out with, we need to find Willow, and Xander says, yeah, she's off the wagon big time. Warren's a dead man if she finds him. And Dawn says, good. Buffy responds, Dawn, don't say that. Dawn says, why not? I'd do it myself if I could. And Buffy says, because you don't really feel that way. A little frustrating to me because clearly Dawn does feel that way. And though Buffy did acknowledge her feelings earlier, she 
is not doing that now. And Don says, yes, I do. And you should too. He killed Tara and he nearly killed you. He needs to pay. Xander says, out of the mouths of babes. And I talk about this more in the bonus episode on crime punishment, Buffy and the trio, that these are different approaches to justice and punishment. And Dawn's and Xander's are one approach, which is, uh, and we will see Willow take one as well, which is he killed Tara and it is right that he should be killed. That is the punishment and that is justice. And Buffy throughout the series has taken a different approach. One is she is mainly about protection, not punishment, but also, and we'll see it in a moment, she's about procedural justice, that the process of justice must be fair and right. And right now she chides Xander, but he responds that Warren is just as bad as any vampire that Buffy staked. But Buffy tells them both being a slayer doesn't give her a license to kill. The human world has rules for dealing with humans like Warren, even though she agrees that they don't always work. So that is a sort of process argument in the sense of due process, that you should have a fair system. Then Buffy goes on and gives another reason I hadn't really thought about before, but it makes sense that she she would need to draw this line for personal reasons as well. She says, but we can't control the universe. If we were supposed to, then the the magic wouldn't change Willow the way it does, and we'd be able to bring Tara back. And Dawn says, and mom. Maybe remembering her attempt to bring Joyce back and her tearing up that photo when it hit her that it might not really be Joyce. It might be more like a zombie. This also tells me that Buffy has a larger philosophical reason. She does believe humans are one thing and you should have that process for justice, but also that if she were to go beyond her role as the Slayer, two things, she would be in that same danger that Willow is in now of becoming a monster herself. And two, Buffy deals with so much. She has the weight of the world on her shoulders and to take on dealing with humans as well and trying to make those calls would be too much for her personally. Too much to ask a Slayer to do. And we're going to see another reason that they want to stop Willow, which is this idea that once you kill, it becomes too easy to kill again. And we saw that theme in the season three with Faith when Angel says something about now Faith has killed a human, she has a taste for it. And my best memory is that Agatha Christie's Hercule Perrault also said that about murderers. Once they murder once to solve a problem, it becomes so much easier to do it again. Xander now tells Buffy it's hard to hold himself back from thinking that way because he's had blood on his hands all day, blood from people he loves. Buffy promises Warren will get what he deserves, but she's not going to let Willow destroy herself. She and Xander will go find Willow, but she's not going to let Dawn come with, even though Dawn wants to help and says it's Willow. Buffy's a bit condescending here again as she reassures Dawn that she will help lots, but first they have to get Willow home in one piece. Dawn then says, fine, she'll stay with Spike. That's who she feels safe with. Xander almost loses it when Buffy says, okay. And this shows the depth of her commitment here that she is willing to leave Dawn with Spike. But she also tells Xander as they speak separately away from Dawn that Spike can't hurt Dawn and he's the only one Dawn feels safe with and he's all they've got. The way Buffy is with Dawn here when she's like, oh, you'll help lots. And later she is again going to just override Dawn's comments really got me thinking more about why some fans that I've talked with who started watching the series in real time in season six, so they watched six and seven, then went back, probably on DVDs at that time, and watched one through five, really don't like Buffy all that much. And if this season were my first introduction to her, I might feel the same. I'd certainly still feel sympathy for her. But we're going to see her more and more in this episode and minor spoilers in the coming episodes, kind of recently 
reciting these things like, oh, you don't mean that and telling people we don't do this and we don't do that. And she doesn't have, uh, for understandable reasons with her depression and her own struggles, she doesn't have any of sort of the, the joy and the spark that what I think of as the real Buffy had. And she's not very empathetic. Buffy's strength, one of her big strengths, used to be understanding people. It wasn't just her physical power. And in these episodes in particular, it is really lacking. This scene also is part of why I see Buffy as the protagonist of this episode. It is close between Willow and Buffy, but as you know, if you've listened to previous episodes, I look at three things. Who pursues an active goal throughout the episode, who is the main point of view character, and who has the most at stake. When we go to actively pursuing a goal, it would be easy to say, well, Willow, because from the start, Willow is actively pursuing vengeance against Warren while Buffy's been shot. We don't see her doing anything. Nonetheless, Buffy is more active and active is not about is one character physically stronger than another or who does the most things it's relative to what that character is where they are at in that moment how much do they pursue part of active is choosing to do something it's voluntarily doing it and Buffy we don't know if she's struggling to survive when we see her at first but she does have her eyes open and I think that is part of the choice to do that so Buffy is not just unconscious and from almost the second she wakes up she is concerned about Willow she senses something wrong and she is actively making a choice to try to help Willow and keep Willow from going down a very dangerous path Willow in contrast she is doing more but she is driven by vengeance and she is in reaction mode despite that she's doing all these active things it is a reaction to Tara's death as Rack says she is running on pure fury that is what is driving her and it is less of a choice in a way than Buffy although they both do have very strong stories here so whichever you see is the main plot the other has a very strong subplot as to point of view we start and we will end with Buffy. There are many scenes from Willow's point of view as well, but when Buffy and Willow are together, as an audience, we are mainly seeing it from Buffy's point of view. Buffy's in the front seat with Xander, when Willow is standing out to stop that bus, we mostly are in Buffy's perspective of, hey, what is going on? What are you doing? This isn't good for you. We may or may not agree with Buffy, but it is her point of view when the two of them are together. And finally, the most at stake is a super interesting question here. Buffy and Xander are telling us that the whole of who Willow is is at stake, yet from Willow's perspective, she has already lost everything when she lost Tara. Buffy with Xander, they are the ones struggling to keep Willow in fear of losing Willow, so they perceive the stakes as very high, where Willow, she wants that vengeance, but on some level, she knows she's not going to bring Tara back, so she's already lost. And when she says, I'm not coming back, yes, there are stakes, but Willow doesn't care about them right now. So that's why I see Buffy as the protagonist in this episode, and Willow would be the antagonist for Buffy, because Willow does not want to be saved. She does not want to be diverted from this path and she will push and push and push against Buffy. In Willow's plot, the antagonist is Warren. He is the one she pursues. He is the one who keeps trying to evade her and stop her from carrying out her revenge. Even though Buffy is doing that as well, Warren is the main object of Willow's plot. At 26 minutes 7 seconds in Tara's dorm room, Willow lays Tara's blood-spattered shirt on the floor and she does a spell and the blood creates a map to find Warren. 
At Spike's crypt, Buffy and Don startle Clem. He's watching TV and his snacks fly all over the place. It turns out he's hanging out there while Spike's away, and he is surprised Spike did not tell Buffy he was leaving town. Buffy asks if Don could hang out with him. This is where Don tries to argue again, and now Buffy uses that same tone. We've been through this. It is a very mom-like response. We've been through this. You haven't. You made a decision and ignored Dawn's feelings. And I'm not saying Buffy's wrong to make that decision. I think it's the right decision. But she puts it as if, well, we had this conversation and we agreed. And it again sounds like that talking to a very small child. Clem, though, is happy to have Dawn there. He asks if she likes Parcheesi or suggests they could rent videos. He's been dying to see the wedding planner, and he offers her the comfy chair. I find it a little strange that in a group of episodes where we're meant to believe that Spike, because he has no soul, would sexually assault Buffy, yet here's Clem offering Don the comfy chair and snacks and just being as nice as he could possibly be, Clem has no chip and Buffy has no problem leaving Don with him. Buffy hugs Don, thanks Clem, and asks if Spike said when he'd be back. Clem tells her all Spike said was he'd be gone for a while, and now we will cut to Spike. It's a full moon, drums play, people gather around fires and huts, and a young man who speaks another language argues as Spike strides past. We can tell that he is trying to stop Spike, and Spike says, not asking for permission, mate. Spike enters a cave. He finds a demon in the shadows. The demon calls him Vampire and surmises that Spike wants to see him about the Slayer. Spike says, bitch thinks she's better than me. He goes on that since he got this chip, things haven't been right. And the demon asks if he wants to return to his former self. When Spike says yes, the demon laughs and says, look what she's reduced you to. Spike argues, though, that it's the chip. The demon's not cutting him any slack. He tells Spike he used to be a legendary warrior, but he let himself be castrated. Now Spike's got the audacity to crawl in and ask for restoration. But Spike insists he's still a warrior, though the demon says he's pathetic, so Spike dares him to give him a shot. The demon warns him that there'll be trials and he won't survive, but Spike says when he wins, he wants what he came there for, and he continues, bitch is going to see a change. I have comments about this in the foreshadowing section. For now, we'll go to the magic box at 31 minutes, 34 seconds. Xander asks Anya if she feels any change as he walks her to a chair and then asks if she can talk. Willow really immobilized Anya and kept her from even speaking. Anya now explains that Willow was there, put a whammy on her, and went straight for the dark arts. Anya already knows about Tara, and she tells Xander she can find Willow. She doesn't need a spell. She can feel Willow's thirst for vengeance. And Xander asks if that's leftover from her vengeance demon days. And we get some very powerful dialogue. It does so much. It is exposition in a way. It reminds the audience what happened, but it is really about Anya communicating this to Xander without ever saying it, which is such a strong way to do this. It tells us so much about both these characters, and it is so believable. So he's asked, is it left over from her vengeance demon days? Anya says, no, not left over. Xander says, oh, and she replies, yeah. Xander says, when? And she responds, when do you think? Absolutely beautiful dialogue. Buffy comes in, asks if everyone's okay. Really nice lines, since clearly neither of them is at this moment. I am going to do something new this break, which is to share with you part of my work in progress. 
I almost never do this. Even my editor never sees my work in progress until it's been through many, many drafts. But I've decided to try to loosen up on that a bit. I think it will help my creative process. So I shared this with my fiction writing email list recently. This is the beginning of my latest QC Davis crime novel or mystery subject to change because this is still part of the first draft. If you are interested in learning more about those, you can find those mysteries at lisalily.com, L-I-S-A-L-I-L-L-Y.com, or there are links in the show notes. Working title is The Smarter Man. I'm probably going to change that because it doesn't, I don't think, give enough of a vibe of the female detective sleuth genre. But here is the beginning of chapter one. Summer is my favorite season in Chicago. I ought to be enjoying it. Except in the hottest years, Lake Michigan keeps downtown breezy, though warm. Neighborhood or lakefront festivals take place every weekend. Parades, too. No matter what you love, it's there. Blues music, jazz, art, beer drinking and loud bands. I skip those. Art and antique fairs. Wax-coated bags of cheese and caramel popcorn, Vienna beef hot dogs, and every other type of food you can imagine. Work topped the list of reasons I wasn't having fun, which unfortunately felt out of my control. I was still catching up after months spent investigating the long-ago murder of my sister, the original Quill C. Davis. No question, it had been worth the time. But as I revised a 30-page appellate brief for the third time at 7.15 on a Wednesday night, it was hard to truly feel that. The worst part was that being in the office from 7 in the morning to 7 or 8 every night was routine these days, as was working weekends, but I needed to meet the deadlines on my cases, and I needed the money from those cases. My love life, or lack of it, was the other thing in the way of a great summer. My boyfriend, Ty, was in Dubai for a two-year work project. His company promised he could return for visits, but the last one had been canceled at the last minute. The chances of a reschedule anytime soon were dim. At the thought of Ty, I stopped typing mid-sentence and hit print. I'd finish tomorrow. I wasn't missing yet another outdoor concert in Millennium Park with my friends. If I did, I'd feel too much like that person who can't have fun because she's not part of a couple, which I never wanted to be. And who knew? The words I was so painstakingly rearranging might look brilliant on the page tomorrow morning. When I left the building, warm, damp air coated my bare arms. It was a recipe for sweating and too many mosquitoes, but the outdoors still felt wonderful after 12 hours of stale air conditioning. My step quickened as I headed east toward the lake. I heard the orchestra warming up when I crossed Michigan Avenue near the Art Institute. Its giant stone lions, as always, stood guard on either side of the wide stairs. As I passed them, my phone rang. I felt tempted to ignore it, but I was waiting to hear from a lawyer about a case I hoped to settle this week. I veered into the wall garden next to the museum, perched on a worn concrete bench, and answered. It wasn't the lawyer, but it was a judge, the very one who convinced me law school was the right choice for me. Her husband had been murdered, and she needed my help. Right now, that is the start of the seventh QC Davis mystery. If you'd like to check out the series and you haven't already, this is a great time because the ebook editions of the first three for just six days will be on sale for only 99 cents. You could pick up all three of them from November 13 through November 19, 2023. You can also always get the print edition or large print edition if you, like me, find large print easier to read, and you can request either of those print editions through your local library. You can find links in the show notes or at lisalily.com, and the first three books are The Worried Man, The Charming Man, and The Troubled Man.
Anya explains again what happened. Xander fills Buffy in that Anya's a vengeance demon again. And he asks, why doesn't Anya go to Willow? And Anya says that normally she'd have to, but Willow wants to do this herself. So now Buffy asks Anya, is she with them or against them? Buffy needs to know. Anya stands, says she'll help, but it's for Willow. We're now at the three-quarter turn, that last major plot turn that should grow from the midpoint commitment or reversal, take the story in yet another new direction, and raise the stakes again. For Buffy, I see it as this moment Anya agrees to help. It comes out of Buffy's commitment. Buffy's commitment has driven her here to the magic box. And she demands that Anya tell her one way or another. It isn't quite as strong in the sense of some commitments are more clearly coming out of that midpoint, are a little more protagonist driven, but it does spin the story because now it is about tracking Willow and stopping her from enacting vengeance. And Buffy has a way to do that. Without this, the story would just stop because Willow could probably pretty easily evade Buffy. For Willow, it's even less of a new direction. We are going to shift right now to Willow stalking Warren through the woods. So that escalates her story. It brings her towards that direct confrontation. But there isn't really a turn because the whole episode, Willow has been single-minded and she has been tracking Warren. So that's another reason I see her story as a little more of a subplot because it doesn't have as many turns. Willow was, from the start, finding different ways to track Warren. 33 minutes, 31 seconds. Warren sneaks up from behind Willow and plunges an axe into her back. She goes down and we go to commercial. A great hook. We return from the commercial exactly where the last scene left off, but Willow magically rises and takes the axe out of her back as if it was nothing. Warren runs. He tries a couple different spells to stop Willow. She keeps warding them and following him and eventually appears in front of him. He stumbles to a stop and stutters out that it was an accident as he backs away from her, and Willow says, oh... You mean instead of killing my best friend, you killed my girlfriend. Now we get the second scene where two characters, I don't want to say who are evil, but in in this episode, Willow is intent on killing Warren. She is moving toward doing evil. And here Warren, somewhat like he did with Rack, makes Willow look better, but for different reasons. Warren, we saw him kill Tara. We know he killed Katrina. And rather than making Willow seem less bad, he gives us sympathy for Willow's point of view, even if you weren't already there. I think most audience members already were, but we're about to see Willow not just kill a human being, but torture him. And we have not seen any of our good guys do that before. But because Warren is so horrible, not just what he's already done, but how he behaves in this very scene, we keep our sympathy for Willow. It's a great lesson if you do want or need to write a character that you want readers to continue to see as one of the good characters or the heroic characters, but they're going to do something terrible that otherwise you might see as evil is to frame it in this way and put another character on the other side of that interaction who is so awful and who also does need to be stopped. And here, Warren is going to show no remorse, only a fear of being caught, and an anger at being caught. He's not going to take any responsibility. He's going to verbally assault Willow. And all of that makes her actions feel justified. Right now, she attacks him with uh, what look like lightning bolts right from her hands. He throws this gelatinous substance around her that holds her for a moment or two at best. But she breaks out and immediately uses a spell so that vines in the forest grab his wrists and ankles and bind him to the trees. And Warren says, you are really asking for it. You know that? He tries 
and tries to intimidate her with his words, reminding us how awful he is. But Willow tells him Tara wasn't the first girl he killed. Was she? And she says, reveal, and Katrina walks out. So the writers are also reminding us about Katrina, who taunts Warren and says she should have killed him and done the world a favor. And then she asks why he did this to her when she loved him and he loved her. Warren at first is a bit distraught, but then he shifts again to what I see as his true self and says she deserved it and calls her a bitch. Willow makes Katrina disappear, tells him that he killed Katrina to get power over her. He responds that Willow is just like all other women playing mind games, but Willow cuts him off and says that's why he had to go after the Slayer because Buffy was so much more powerful than him. We shift to the Slayer now. Anya is leading Xander and Buffy through the woods, and we hear Warren yell for help. We're now at the climax of the episode where the opposing forces have their final clash and resolve the conflict. So first, we will get the resolution of Warren and Willow. That is a big part of the climax with Buffy as well because Buffy has not been able to stop Willow from doing this. So it also resolves the Buffy and Willow conflict. But it's another reason why there's a really good case for the main plot is Willow versus Warren because that is the dramatic conflict. Willow magically tears Warren's shirt open and now he does start panicking and Willow asks if he wants to know what a real bullet feels like and she says it's not like in the comics. She explains what's happening as she magically puts the bullet through him very slowly as she explains all the damage it does and I can't believe this but I think this is the first time I realized that that was that same bullet that went through Buffy and Willow pulled it out of the air. So it is one of Warren's own bullets. He screams and in pain and he begs Willow to stop and Willow just seals his lips shut. She sews them shut magically. And she tells him the pain will be unbearable and bullets usually travel faster, of course, but the dying seems like it takes forever. And now, once again, Willow is showing some of her sadness and her emotion as she goes on to talk about how this tiny piece of metal destroys everything and ripped out Tara's insides. And she asks Warren why he should get to live when someone like Tara is gone. Now she asks if he can feel the bullet and she releases his lips and he screams and apologizes. He says he needs to go to jail, but she's not a bad person. Willow's not like him. He knows she's in pain, but he doesn't want and Willow doesn't let him finish. She says in an echo of Vampire Willow from season three, bored now, gestures and his skin flays off. And that is the moment it is so horrific looking that I think needed all those reminders of how horrible Warren was so that we are still in sympathy with Willow. We shift to Buffy, Xander, and Anya who enter the clearing as this happens and stare and Buffy says, what did you do? Willow, what did you do? Willow looks at Buffy, then Warren's body bursts into flames and disintegrates. And we're in the falling action, which is very short here, where we resolve subplots, tie up loose ends, and there really isn't much in the way of loose ends. And whether we see Buffy's plot or Willow's plot as subplots, they're already resolved. So now all there is, is we find out what's next. And Willow looks at her friends and says, one down. Her eyes glow and she disappears. Buffy and Xander exchange shocked looks. And that is the end of the episode. As I was breaking this down, more and more I started to think that the last four episodes of the season, so Seeing Red, this one, the next one, which is Two to Go, and Grave, are really a four-part arc for Willow. And seen that way, the plot points 
are very strong because a quarter way through that story, Tara is killed, sending Willow's story in an entirely new direction. It comes from outside of her as protagonist. Here, midpoint, talk about a strong midpoint. She commits, she kills Warren. You could also see it as a major reversal. And then in the next two episodes, the plot proceeds from there. So I'll try to remember to talk about that in those next two episodes, how that would fit. We pick up the next one right where this one left off and that commitment by Willow and reversal drives her forward. And it might explain why I commented that in Seeing Red, it's a little bit hard to pull out a main plot there. We don't see the major plot turns, but if you see this as more of this four-part arc, it works a lot better from that perspective. That is it for this episode, other than foreshadowing, which does include spoilers. If you're not staying around for that, thank you so much for listening and a special thank you to patrons who support the podcast. If you would like to do that as well and get access to bonus episodes, you can go to patreon.com slash Lisa M. Lily, L-I-S-A-M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y. Please come back in the new year for two to go where Buffy, Xander, and Anya try to stop Willow from killing Andrew and Jonathan and Spike faces many trials. And don't forget to pop in in between for those holiday bonus episodes. These lines of Spike's bitch thinks she's better than me, and the other one about bitch will get what she deserves. They echo Warren's use of the word bitch, which also doubles down on my frustration with the mislead here. The demon's comments, I enjoy more because when you look closely at what he says like you have the nerve to crawl in here and ask for restoration the demon could be outraged at the idea of spike who let himself be castrated is now crawling in here asking for his soul restored like you can see where that would be really offensive to this demon but spike's lines once we find out in season six that he purposely went to get his soul restored they just do not work it it's an unfair mislead because it is completely there to throw off the audience and i'm i'm not sure why they did it that way i guess they wanted to ramp up the menace the idea that in season six or season seven rather i'm sorry and i think i said six before when i meant seven Maybe it's meant to give the idea that, ooh, Spike's going to be the big bad in season seven, or at least he's going to be a serious foe for Buffy. But I just feel like it would have been so much better if they likewise wrote Spike's in an ambiguous way. You could have done it and built in enough that would create that menace and that question without completely just putting in something that does not work when you find out what he's really there for. Willow's one down comment, of course, tells us she is going after Andrew and Jonathan. Dawn's unhappiness foreshadows that she is going to get Clem to take her to Rax to try to find Willow and help Willow despite what Buffy said. And Buffy's approach of we don't kill people and a little bit of lecturing is going to continue in the next episode. It, it's probably why they do that here. One, I do think it fits how Buffy is written in this season. And it shows why it's going to be so hard for her to convince Willow to come back. Buffy can't connect with Willow emotionally. She's had struggles doing that anyway and now to try to connect at the level that would bring Willow back to herself it's almost impossible for Buffy and also she tries to give that talk about how wonderful life is and Willow's just completely not buying that and points out all the ways Buffy thinks life is horrible that is less related to Buffy's tone in this episode but there is a connection because Buffy likewise feels very muted in this episode she's saying these things but there's no real energy behind 
any of it and that will make it hard for her and it makes sense that in the end it is Xander who is able to connect with Willow and bring her back. Finally, Rack has a line that I did not notice literally until I was recording where he says something about how Willow's running on Fury and she's going to blow this whole town apart, something like that. And in the end, that is what Willow tries to do, only on a bigger scale, she tries to blow the whole world apart. So a tiny bit of foreshadowing there that I think could not have been accidental. Rack is warning not just Warren that she's going to kill Warren, but telling the audience that it is huge. This amount of fury, this need for vengeance, and the amount of power Willow has is going to do far more than just take out Warren. She's only starting with Warren. Oh, and of course, going back to Rack, uh, this does foreshadow Willow coming back and drawing power from Rack. We see that he is powerful and he actually underestimates Willow, but it completely makes sense when she needs a power boost that she goes to get it from Rack and also kills him sort of uh, as an aside almost. So we have that to look forward to as well. That's it for foreshadowing. If you've enjoyed this episode, please rate or review it in your podcast app. It really helps other people find the show. It helps Buffy and the Art of Story show up in the podcast lists. And I would really appreciate it if you would take a moment and do that. And thank you again for listening. And again, to the patrons who support the podcast, please come back for those bonus episodes during the end of year season and come back in the new year for two to go where Buffy, Xander, and Anya try to save Willow from herself and as a byproduct, try to save Andrew and Jonathan. You can find back episodes of the podcast on YouTube or at lisalilly.com where you can also find my mysteries and thrillers and the Buffy and the Art of Story books. If you'd like to connect or share your thoughts about Buffy, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Lisa M. Lilly. That's L-I-S-A-M as in Marie, L-I-L-L-Y. Or email me at buffystorypod at gmail.com. Music for this episode was written and performed by Robert Newcastle. Buffy and the Art of Story is a production of Spiny Woman, LLC. Copyright 2023. All rights reserved.